What's going on, everybody? My name is Rob, and I'm the host of The Curated Culture, a weekly podcast dedicated to dissecting the latest and greatest news from around the world of tech and pop culture. Now, we all know the internet can be a busy, noisy place, so let us calm that noise for you. Join us as we discuss the latest and greatest topics from the people and sources that matter most. Check us out every Thursday as we jump into fresh, original content, new interviews, and a host of other subjects that we know you'll find interesting. So jump in whatever your favorite podcast app is and search The Curated Culture. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And in the meantime, we'll catch y'all on the air. And welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with the man who puts the fond in fondue, Nick. Well, hello. The fun and fun. We're going to say fun and fondue. We're going to say we're going to call it fondue from now on because fond. I don't know what fond means. I don't know if I'm the fondue or what's going on, but hello. Good morning, everybody. It is me, Nicholas. I am here with Michael. We are ready to kick some major realistic sustainable butt. I just like watching your face now that you would get your camera working every time I come up with something ridiculous. Like, I can just see the thought process. Like, yep, he just said that. Uh huh. And I'm supposed to respond. I can see that all in your eyes. Yeah. Um, listen, if, if I had more coffee in me, I'd be firing faster, but I don't. And I have no excuses. I've been up since the butt crack of yesterday. I got up at five today, maybe a little after. So, uh, a midnight express amount of dishes to catch up in my kitchen. It, it actually was, it looked way worse than what it really was. But the problem is, is when you put commercial, like, like hotel pans, like professionals, it's stuff in your kitchen. These pans that are, I think they're like two and a half feet by, it's like, it's like a baking sheet on steroids. If you put them in there, it clogs it up so fast. And it goes from having like a sink and a half worth of dishes to having like three sinks worth of dishes just because you can't fit them. I can only wash a third of the pan at the time. So it really, it, it sucked. But that's my own fault. And here I am doing it. So good morning. Hey, man, it's a wonderful thing when you start to wash dishes and realize that the bottom of this huge pile is just basically air because you've got all these other things piled in there. Oh, my God. Yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're like, oh, this is going to go quickly. I can't believe it. Yeah. So I had I had a bus tub for those of you that don't know. It's just like a, a big rubber tub, that rubber, like, like a tote, if you will. They put dirties in at restaurants and it was so heavy. And I'm like, God, I don't want to wash this. So I start taking things out of it. And I had a pizza stone in there. I don't know why, but the pizza stone was sitting there at a 45 degree angle. So the like a half of the bottom was completely empty. Like there was nothing in there but dirt. Like when I say dirt, I mean dust. Like there was nothing in there. So I had like one pan of pizza stone and a bunch of utensils. So it took literally four minutes to wash that whole thing out. I thought it was going to be a nightmare. I'm like, oh, God, what's in here? 40 plates, 50 pieces of silverware? No, nothing. Right. So how long do you procrastinate thinking that it's a mountain of work just to find out it was a two minute job? So I'm actually like, I'm, uh, it depends on the situation. I'm a terrible self-starter. I really am. Once I get started doing something, I, I'm, I'm great. Like I don't have a pissy attitude about it. I'm just, when I have to do something I don't want to do, I struggle to to do it like i'm really good at deadlines like you give me a deadline i'll push it to the wire i'll do the best work you've ever seen but i'll push it to the wire i don't i don't like doing it when i can be doing other things i enjoy so probably i think that bus tub has been there a day and then like pan that was on the hotel pan that was on the counter had been there 
like three days, but there was nothing in it. Like literally it was just taking up space. I used it to uh, carry to go boxes for soul box. I just stacked them in there because it was convenient and I dropped the food off and I brought it in. And if you grew up in my household, when I was a kid, you know, if it came out of the cupboard, it was washed before it got put away. So I just stuck it on the counter where it became a catch all for a bunch of random stuff, but it took a lot of space. So those two things have been there for at least a day, at least I think soul box was since Monday. And then, um, the the bus tub was definitely yesterday and then what else did i have to clean that really oh okay so your brother if anyone doesn't know this is really good at dropping things and lately it's been alfredo no matter what i seem to do i cannot keep alfredo off the floor and so the other day i posted a video where it says tell me or it's like tell me you're angry saying you're angry and then it's just a, a still shot of a big pile of sauce on the floor i mean yelling well this morning i'm going ahead and i'm, I'm i did some meal prep for the weekend because we're going out of town and stuff and i'm putting it away putting it in the fridge and i i stack some stuff up and i stick it in there and as i do it i drop a, a container of sauce it hits the ground and it goes everywhere and i'm like you've got to be kidding me these containers are pretty durable and then there's a big cross-shaped break in the bottom. And I'm like, seriously, that drop? And I am living. I've got a towel. I'm scrubbing the floor. And I'm wiping inside of the fridge. And I'm just cussing up a storm. And then as I get up and look at the counter, and to make matters worse, not only did I drop it, I put sauce in a broken container and never noticed it. Where the container was sitting, there's a perfect circle of sauce. So I set myself up to fail before I even began. Even if I wouldn't have dropped it, I still would have had a mess in the fridge when I got home. So you're having fun. It's been a great morning. <laughs> well, that's why we get together. We're going to make today a little bit better. You know, piece by piece, little bit by little bit. That's just what we do. Can I just skip to the big bit? Like, can uh, I just make it no. a lot better? No, no, it's just not how it works. So before we get too far into this, I want to remind everybody we're getting close. If you're near Durand, Michigan, and yes, I still sound stuffy. It's like this, it's going to be like a whole season of Mike sounds terrible, but I'm working my way through it. Anyways, I want to remind everybody if you're in the area, Edible Landscape Project, our first city cleanup is April 29th. So we're actually coming up to that date where we're going to start working on things and getting things ready. If you're not really wanting to do cleanup, but you'd like to be here for planting day, that's May 27th. And everybody is welcome. You don't have to live in Duran to come in. We, we Anybody can come and be a part of the program. So just as we get closer, I'll keep reminding people, cleanup starts April 29th. And we all, and the other, so we have two cleanup days, April 29th, May 13th, and then one planting day should do it. It is Memorial weekend, but it's May 27th. So I wanted to just get that out there ahead of time in case there's any listeners that are in the area that like to be a part of it. That's awesome. And I, I want to encourage people, if you've never you know, helped out in a community, it doesn't always have to be your community. If you have some free time and someone's doing something, come on out and hang out and give us a hand. It's usually a lot of fun. Um, I self-admittedly have never been able to make it to nearly as many of those days as I'd like to. They always fall on Saturdays, and Saturday is the busiest day of the month for me. So when I can make it, I do, but I can't always make it. I think I made it to two cleanup days in the first year and maybe one in the second year, which was the tale of two trees, which you have to talk to Blaine about. We had we waged war on some vines that had overtaken this grove of trees along the train tracks, but we were, we were victorious. And uh, it was legendary. So I, I'm looking forward to doing more as, as often as I can. But like I said, if you guys, anyone that hears this wants to come out and hang out and, you know, do some cleanup. And usually sometimes after we might get together, or go to like derailed and get a burger or something. That's the local bar, you know, good people and stuff. Speaking of good people, Michael, I have now ran into the owner of uh, Union Station Smokehouse two times. 
Oh, yeah? Both food shows, Gordon's and Van Erden's. Gotcha. And he comes up to me and flags me down. He's a nice guy. He's a wonderful person, and you're absolutely correct. I try to go there as often as I can. Just just great people. It's like, you're right. If they see you, they want to say hi. And it's just this natural smile that will come across both of our faces. It's great. You're right. I'm glad you're getting a chance to meet them and, and hang out a little bit. Well, it, we don't, we didn't, really, we haven't really hung out, but I will. I do. The reason I bring that up is because anytime you have an individual who hardly knows anyone, but they know enough to say hello, and they go out of their way, they, they stop, they're doing a walk over and shrug me on the shoulder, or they they jokingly interject in my conversation to kind of razzle me. Uh, I love that. You know, there's not enough of that in this world. More often than not, people have a a oh, I'll say hi if they say hi mentality. So then when when someone doesn't say hi, then they get their feelings all hurt because maybe they really did want to talk to that person, but they didn't want to initiate the conversation because maybe they don't feel like they're friends, they know them very well, maybe they can't remember their name, whatever the reason. And it, that hurts me, man, because like it, in this world, like we're a social creature, all of us, all of us combined. We're like, imagine if if ants, you know, didn't cooperate in hills, if bees didn't cooperate in a beehive. We honestly are on a much grander scale, not all that different. Like we, the better we work is when we're together. We, we just, we're more productive we're happier and to be honest you never know when a 30 second conversation can brighten someone's day you never know when a 30 second conversation will brighten your day and if you can brighten your day or someone else's with 30 seconds of your life is it that hard to do we should do it every single time i do i run my mouth my mouth runs like a duck's butt uh we went to, we went to the food show and on the way out i was uh i took dallas and uh, on the way out i was very pleasantly surprised by the weather because it was atrocious going in there like it was 38 and snowing in Grand yeah. Rapids. And then that was at, we got there at like noon and coming out at like 2.30, it was like 53 degrees and blue skies and sunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was- I, I recorded with Rob yesterday and that's one of the things we talked about was it, the, the weather was ridiculous. It had large chunk flakes, like snowing. Yeah. And then later you, you could take your jacket off and enjoy the sun. Yeah, well, we, were, we were like probably three quarters of our trip there, and uh, I <laughs> the snow like doubled in in like how hard it was coming down. And I started to get spots where I couldn't see the road, and I just clicked the cruise off. I'm like, we're not going to use that. Like, I'm just gonna right. I'm just gonna pay attention now. And uh, but anyways, the reason I bring that up is because since we were walking out of the Fuchsia yesterday, there was a couple behind us, and I I'm really I am a I do not stay in my own lane. I'm just not wired like that. I if I'm in a good mood and I'm bubbly and I'm talking, I'm talking to everybody. So the people behind me are making jokes about the weather, and I was like, well, welcome to Manic, Michigan, where the only thing more bipolar than our politicians is their weather. And so we joked around about that and then so we got the chat and as we were walking to the parking garage and they uh this guy runs a restaurant in uh, walker michigan called the local restaurant bar and grill and we start chatting about catering and within like five minutes i had his contact and uh he wants to talk about catering and maybe do some networking together so like those kinds of those things don't just happen like you have to be outgoing and be willing to initiate the conversation maybe it's awkward yeah maybe it's new yeah maybe it's weird maybe it looks strange to other people all that's true it absolutely is but the only thing the reason it makes it look strange is because it's insecure like if you're open and you're willing to put yourself out there people will reciprocate and it is wonderful well and it's no different than what we talk about with edible landscape putting people side by side creates conversation and even if they disliked each other online it's only so long before you sit next to someone before you realize they're not the same person as they pretend to be online and that they're just a person trying to get through their day and it creates empathy and you spend time 
you know, building these relationships. It's a hard, lot harder to hate when you get to know people. And it's a lot easier to like when you get to know people. And it only happens when you're in close proximity. I agree with that. I think that one of the, one of the most interesting parts of getting older for me has been that I always wanted to, as a young guy, always was like, I always had my heart in my sleeve. I was always super open and I always wanted to be everyone's best friend. And I wanted to be super intimate and close to everybody. And then it, it dawned on me one day that like, you can spend your entire life building intimate relationships with the people that are in your home and still not really know everything that's going on with them. Why would you want to burden yourself with every person you meet? And so it took me a long time to learn that there is a certain level of acceptable, let's say openness where you can be friendly and you can be helpful and insightful and you can give someone advice, but not prioritize their life over yours in a manner that makes your, yourself or your family suffer for it. Now, I only say that because it took me a long time to balance that. And so now there's like three quarters of me. Everybody gets, everyone gets the, I'm the same guy in person as I am on Facebook, as I am on this. Like I, I am who I am. There's 25% of me though, that I reserve for my family and myself, not to say that, I'm hiding anything or won't just talk about it, but like some things are just mine. I mean, there are little idiosyncrasies that I'm the only one that knows that I do stupid things. Like I love to drink a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning next to an open window. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't, but I like to do it. I like the cold air hitting me in the face. Like there's just dumb little things that, but and every, we all have these differences. All mm -hmm. every one of us has little things that it's just kind of ours. And the reason I say all this is because social media has done the opposite of its name. It's I call it the anti-social media because what it is is it polarizes us. Instead of seeing all these things about each other that we have in common or that we that we like or that we could joke and laugh about, we just nitpick the things we don't like and then it turns into this infantile hatred. It's not true hatred. It's infantile egomania. It's, I don't like the way they looked at me and they, they just, people are ridiculous because they, they found a couple differences. But like there's literally endless amounts of different things about people. People are so godforsaken interesting. If you just give them the chance to be themselves and pay attention, just listen to what they have to say. You'll be enthralled. But so I had an amazing conversation with a 94 year old man yesterday or two days ago. Like I just sat there as he told me about working on the farm for this, this like this uh, Finnish person who couldn't speak a lick of English. And his job was to make her lunch and he had to learn the language just to talk to her. And it was the, the coolest conversation I ever could have had. Do we have anything in common other than being human beings? No, not really. But like, he's amazing. His life alone just leaves me in awe. And you can't spot and look at the differences. You have to be able to, be willing to find common ground and laugh about it. And I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying, I've turned this into Nick's social soapbox for the day, but uh, I just, I, I want people to be people and to be people together. And, and whether there's a commercial with uh, the guy from inside the actor studio and he's like humans behaving humanly. I want that. I want people to be cool with each other and just stick their necks out and have a good time. Yeah. And I think that, in many cases that social media is you get what you take from it. And I see a lot of the negative. I just ignore it and I move on. I look for those. I'm, what I look for in social media is my friends having success, my family having success, people enjoying life. And those are the things that I interact with. The things that where people are ridiculing others or making fun of this person or whatever it is, I ignore that stuff. People posting hateful stuff, I just ignore that stuff. That stuff doesn't exist to me. And I think when it comes to social media, you have to have this separation. You have to choose what you decide is worth seeing and let the algorithm start curating it in that manner. 
because then it will start slowly filtering out a lot of the negatives. I have a lot of friends who say a lot of really crappy things just because they think that links them look cool, but I don't see it very often anymore because I don't react to it. Well, I think that I think you're right, but I think that it the the way the the scales skew is is more heavenly in the negative side and so when you have to be very very careful with the way you curate your online experience especially with these all the social media platforms are built in the same premise they show you what you want so you spend more time on there so they can sell your information to advertisers and now advertisers are also paying to advertise on their platforms so now they're getting paid twice from you so you have to really pay attention to how you operate online now am i telling you you have to you know, sugarcoat everything. I'm not, but I am going to say that if you happen to follow like a, a really adult oriented, almost nasty meme page, let's say Facebook, because let's be honest, that's a big one. If you do that, it's going to keep pumping more towards you. If you interact with one post on there, you're going to have hours in your newsfeed of Facebook. Hey, try this. Look at this. You heard about this. Let's do that. Your friends like this. You have 455 people in the comment with this. Like it's just pumps it at you. And if you don't, if you don't do that and you focus on the positive and the, and the, and the truly amazingly beautiful things, eventually you're right. It will start to feed you that, but it feeds off the negative because it yeah. knows that a, a polarized negative personality is a personality more apt to interact negatively online. Um, yeah. It's real. It's the same thing in, in real life. People complain before they compliment. It's just it is. It's human nature to be on the bandwagon. It, it's not. It isn't common to stand on your own and stand on your principles and be the only person on on the top of the mountain. That's not honestly. It's not common. It should be more common, but it's common to be the sheep. It's common to go with the masses because it's comfortable. You're around people that are like minded. It's just a shame when it's like minded negative. And so with with your social media, you really got to go out of your way to curate it. I'd like social media because it gives me the glimpse of people that I don't necessarily get to communicate with all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I have Absolutely. an old an old friend, Amber, who just kind of she disappeared off of Facebook for quite you know several years and mm -hmm. then just hopped back on. You know, you want to talk about getting a smile from ear to ear. I was so happy to see her face and immediately typed in there, you know, that exact thing. I've missed this face because these are people I probably if we didn't have these networks, I'd never get to talk to. I wouldn't 100%. have known where they live. I wouldn't even known they moved to Florida, you know, mm -hmm. and so there's so much value. But I treat that tool kind of like kind of like you would a firearm with a lot of respect because it can be dangerous, but it doesn't have to be. And that's what I've learned. And and like our topic today, we, we were talking about we wanted to do homesteading, just kind of start talking about homesteading again. Absolutely. And that's, that's where I learned the bulk of it. I get to see friends and family who are slowly doing these things through social media and that's where i get to see it more than anything yeah when i grew up with my mom we had chickens and ducks we had a hobby farm you know a couple of turkeys stuff mm -hmm. like that but we've got our sister basically has a small hobby farm my my daughter has goats like these days people have the the ability to have these little hobby farms and it kind of helps work your way towards homesteading so before we go into it I'm not talking about homesteading like Lincoln talked about homesteading. This is not 1880s, was that 1862 homesteading act or whatever it was. That ended in the 30s. That was, you could, with an application, get, get quote unquote free land. I, I love if, that you actually think that people knew any of that. I, I love that history. People don't listen to history, Michael. Well, they should. Agree, history but... is amazingly entertaining. And there was a point in which government owned a lot of land and they were mm -hmm. willing to give it away 
I can't remember if it was like, it was like 150 acres or something. It was a lot, but it was never prime land, obviously. It was just land, usually throughout the Midwest. And you could you could put it in an application, and if you worked that land for five years, creating farms and made it functional, then you could apply after seven years to own that land and receive the deed. That was homesteading. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in today's world, especially after COVID, people kind of reverting back to doing their own. And some people who homestead actually do so much of their own, they maintain their lifestyle primarily from their own property. Yeah, so what you're talking about is what I call micro-farming. Now, I don't know if I'm using the terminology correctly, but essentially, throughout COVID, people started realizing that you could do a lot more with a lot less nowadays. And one of the, going back to social media, one of the most beautiful things about that is there are so many pages, websites, videos, things on Pinterest, TikTok, where people are doing this. They're just living their daily life, but they're, they're, they're hosting it, streaming it, blogging it. And it's a lot easier just to get online and read, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And to be honest, that's kind of what a lot of people do with our podcast. Not for homesteading per se, but little tips and tricks that may, they kind of lean them in more of a direction that they want to go in. I just found out uh, through something my wife's seen online, I had to verify it, that in the city of Clio, I can have up to two chickens that just can't have a rooster. Yep. A lot oh. of cities, again, Durand had that same conversation. It ended up being voted down. But you, that still surprises yeah, me. There's a lot of these little rules that allow people to help maintain themselves. And that's social media has allowed me to see some of our friends and family that do those things. It allows me to ask those questions because it seems like since COVID it ramped up. Now, nationally it did in COVID. I don't know if it's the same in my friend's circle, but some people during COVID realized I like being home and decided, screw it. I'm dropping everything and I'm just going to live this simple life, which to me isn't necessarily all that simple. They just call it a simpler life. Well, it is simple though. I mean, I look it's at a lot simple. of work. It is a lot of work, but they're simple things. They're not, it's not rocket science. They're not learning physics and they're not having, I'll tell you what's not simple. It is taken for granted. Going to a job that you despise, it crushes your soul every day and still not having enough money to make ends meet. When you look at the amount of people in, in our immediate areas that live check to check for jobs they hate and spend little money they have on alcohol and lottery tickets just to give them small little burps of happiness throughout their existence, like that's bad and that's pathetic and it's sad. And not pathetic like that they're pathetic. No, it's pathetic that our system has brought us to this. So if you can work your butt off having chickens, doing a micro farm, but be happier, be actually happy with your, your eating stuff you produce with your hands. Like you told me that you're not like when you told me how happy you are just to have your hands in the dirt when you were working your season, like that's not something you can buy. That is, it may be a lot of work, but it's simple and it's beautiful. Well, there's so many different reasons why people have decided to do it. Some out of fear. You know, some people fear the food industry and have decided that they're going to start creating their own food out of this, out of a safety factor. That's some people that. are just politically fatigued and have given up on pairing and shut everything off and, and kind of closed themselves back off. Some people have decided this is the way, you know, grandpa lived. I want to go back to this too. And there's all these different people who've come up with all these different reasons, but the result is the same. You know, TSC has been selling chicks for some time. People are getting chickens and they're maintaining these animals. Like I said, my daughter has goats. Like it's it's really easy to be able to go do some of these things. 
Nowadays, you can go to some farms and go tag the animals that you want, and that becomes your food later on. There's all these different things. I do gardening. I'm not a master gardener in any in any way. I'm not a master botanist. I just do it because I enjoy it. Every time that plant sprouts, I say the same darn thing. I see the leaves pop up and I say, hey there, you know, just this is my smile. Hey, look, there's life, you know, and it doesn't even take a bunch of acreage. I'm in a sense helping homestead the city by putting food everywhere. There's a lot of things we can do as a community to help homestead the city too. And that's, it's, I don't know. I really enjoy researching some of the stuff about homesteading and what people are doing. Uh, Our sister, like I said, has a full-blown like farm going on. She cans, she's freezing, she's doing those things. Mm -hmm. And I I look at it all the time and go, that's going to be my retirement. I've always said, I'm going to teach, I'll teach. But the rest of that time is going to be hands in the dirt. When I'm all done with the craziness of everyday life and I'm running around 100 miles an hour and I'm not, and everything slows down for retirement, my hands will be in the dirt 90% of the time. You better go somewhere warmer then because you don't want to try getting your hands in the dirt three months out of the year here. Well, you know uh, where I'm going to I'm gonna go. <laughs> yes, I do. And there's no dirt. It's all lava. I have to bring my own dirt. Yeah, it's, that's going to be a problem. But, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I look at farming and and this this micro country culture however you want to word this i look at it it, it, with like a cockeyed optimist because i am not ambitious enough to do it to that degree we had chickens before we moved we don't have them now i'm very upset about that i got a few fish to fry before i go ahead and uh decide to pick another fight with the city (laughs) but uh i I, i'd like to have some but i i don't think I think the term my wife uses is fair weather farmer. I don't think I would have the institution or sorry, constitution to maintain that kind of lifestyle 12 months out of the year while I'm in Michigan, because I don't, A, I don't feel that it'd be fair to my animals to have them be out in the winter without heat and like, you know, comfy places to live. And I don't want to go out there. So I'm not, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. But now I am a hundred percent on board with getting more serious about farming and, or gardening and doing preserves canning that kind of stuff and then i don't necessarily want to raise my own beef but i i'm really looking at um working with a farmer to have that done uh same thing with pork i i want to get away from going to the supermarket and i want to be able to actually have my own food all the time well and you're picking it it's regional it's it's close these are the things that we talk about in sustainability and that's the homesteading is sustainable living. It really is. When you're primarily meeting most of most or if not all of your needs from your own piece of property, where a lot of the individuals that I know and a lot of the individuals I watch on social media, they don't waste a thing because they need all these things. All these, you know, food scraps get into the garden. They need the nutrients and they they really do focus on regenerating their own land or they rotate where the animals are to help the nitrogen and all, you know, just, it's just this really cool concept. And that's why when we talk about homesteading, it's, I always get a smile and I always get optimistic and I'm like, this is, it makes me want to do it. But in the current lifestyle and where I live, it's not even an option. But yeah. I admire those who do. Because in, in, the, in the world of sustainability, they're far more sustainable than I am. But we can do some of these things. We can pseudo-homestead from town by doing what you said, partnering with a farm 
for turning the city into food. These are things that we can do to help keep our food as a regional source. And like if you go and you decide that you're getting your meat in bulk from a farmer, it's going to get froze. You'll have it for the year. You're no longer going to the grocery store. You're no longer getting the small piece of flesh wedged between plastic and styrofoam. You're no longer doing these things. You're getting your food, your nutrient, from where you just saw it. You know where it came from. You know what it was fed. And it takes some away from that system, that, that, ag, that ag system that really takes, that is such a problem with climate. Mm-hmm. And it becomes way more sustainable. One of the things about edible landscape, and we're going to use this on a regular basis when we talk about homesteading, is yes, we give away all these free vegetables. People go out and pick it. They get to go for a walk. There's all these things. But the next step is going to have to be teaching how to can. We got to teach the community how to take that food and be able to have it for the winter. Mm-hmm. How to flash freeze, how to blanch some some green beans and freeze them so that you have them for the winter time. That's the next step. Now, we're going to be collecting canning jars and all these different all the things you need to be able to teach the community because I'll be honest, I don't know how to can yet, but it's we got dozens and dozens and dozens of people in town that do. They will teach me. I'll just start collecting the resources slowly. Once I get enough resources, then we'll sit down and we'll start having, we'll have trainings here at Dabble. Because having abundance during the summer is awesome. Having abundance in general for their whole lives is perfect. Well, I think that, I agree. I think that doing preserves and stuff, something everyone should learn. And that includes myself. I canned very briefly when I was younger and I, I hated every part of it because I was young and I wanted to do other things. And now as an adult, I'm seeing the value of it. I'm also seeing that the cert, there are certain flavors that I, I love, like flavor combinations, like everyone has. Everyone has certain things they like to eat certain ways. And if you can, you can do that. You can you can can your green beans with garlic and onion right in them so you don't have to do that again. You you can do take all these steps to make your eating better. Our, you know, our stepmom makes candied carrots and they're fantastic. It's just something that people have gotten out of the habit of doing because of the convenience of going to the grocery store and stuff like that. Well, it's time to go back to basics and, and start to kind of spend more time doing things the right way so you spend less time complaining about it later and i i am like i said i'm guilty of all these things i need to be just i need to be the change i want to see well and that, there is some things that i think there's a miss and that i'm missing i want to know who all my homestead people are so if you're listening to this and you're and you're anywhere near me i want to know who you are because i think it's time for me to start getting my eggs through the people in town like mary here at the depot she has chickens i can get eggs Mm -hmm. i just need to set it up to where hey i need eggs this often and just pay however we need to pay it i would much rather have her eggs than the store-bought eggs anyways i need to find out who has their chickens their meat birds and are willing to grow them and then i just pay and then they get processed and i just pick them up i need to start doing these things it's smarter it's better. And I know I know just from eggs, there's a difference between an egg that came from a farm because it has flavor mm-hmm. compared to the very weak, watery tasting egg that was processed and, and ends up in the stores. Mm-hmm. If, if you notice now, the term organic in stores is obviously not used by definition, but it's, it's almost an attempt to say this one has flavor. Because a lot of things you buy in the store just taste like water. Well, they're just yeah. shaped differently. 
that's when it comes to vegetables, you're not wrong. They're picked way before they're ripe and they're shipped, you know, hours and hours away and they, they, they die in the box. And keep in mind when, okay. So when it comes to fruits and vegetables, ripening is really dying. Plant grows the fruit. The premise of the fruit is for it to be eaten. So the seeds can get spread. So the plant's line can go on. How does that happen? Bright, yummy colors make it appealing to animals. They eat it. We happen to be the animal. Tomatoes are like really hard and green when they're picked. And by the time you get them at the local grocery store or you get them at, you know, your restaurant, they're, they're, you sometimes they can be beautifully bold and red. But when you bite into it, you very seldom get a tomato taste. You get like this, hey, texture sponge. Like it's just not, it's not good. Well, and that was one of the things that was so good about Edible Landscape. All these kids wandering around the neighborhood trying, oh, I'm going to eat this, actually get the flavor of what it's supposed to taste like, not what they their parents bought at the store. And the next thing you know, kids like cherry tomatoes, and they eat the heck out of them, which is good because we grow 30 or 40 plants of cherry tomatoes, and that's a lot of cherry tomatoes. I was like, I've seen what you get off one plant, let alone I can only imagine the rest of them. And I know Candace wants uh, as many cherry tomatoes as possible, but she can't eat them all. That That is one of those things. That is one of those moments in edible landscape that makes me smile is when you see kids huddled around a plant eating all the fruit off of it. But it seems like since COVID, so many people may not have fully made the leap, but they have definitely started to kind of go back to some roots. They go back to canning. They've gone, people have gone back to freezing their, their food because when there wasn't stuff available, it scared people. We've heard our whole lives. Every generation has people building bomb shelters in their basement talking about doomsday. Every generation. There's always mm -hmm. that that very unique uncle who's talking about he's converting everything to llamas so that he has currency, that and gold. You know, he's, there's always these things. The snake oil salesmen are always available to take advantage. And but what it did during COVID, just being short anything, toilet paper, we're so accustomed to an overabundance in America, that to us, a shortage was to not have the right brand available. Yeah, and or it to turned not have into, two extra packs. Yeah, and it turned into, no, you just can't get it. And that shocked this whole nation. And all those things crazy grandpa said started falling back into their head, and people started going, whoa, my goodness, it is the end. It's not. It isn't. And it, it, the things that they talk about are not likely you know not something that is likely to ever happen in a modern society but it triggered that thought and now people are wanting to learn how to can they're wanting to learn how to freeze people have started adding more gardens willing to do those things because of that fear yeah so i i kind of look at that fear is almost like what i call social greenwashing because really what it is it's forcing people to go back to an earlier way of living for fear of doing without because they can't handle the premise of not getting what they want when they want it and i understand that like it sucks to not use your name brand toilet paper paper towels paper plates whatever it is whatever single use item you have is however that's the world we live in and until we change things that's the way it's going to be so if if the terrible happenings of the pandemic have caused you to reevaluate the way you function in society and maybe do a little bit better for yourself and your family. Good. I mean, it sucks. The, the reason sucks, but the results are good. Well, and I'm kind of lucky. I grew up with my mother and her, you know, her father, and we don't get overly emotional about stuff like that. We just don't. And I remember people asking me like, well, what happens if you run out of toilet paper? I'm like, I have a shower. Like I, I mean, it, this won't be the end. I won't put the good suit on and lay down and die. Like, it's 
I'll just do something different. I mean, shoot, I mean, in most most countries, they don't even use toilet paper. No, they have, they have a, a bidet, right? They just yeah. wash themselves off. And to be honest, like you're going to tell me, and I hate to say this out loud, but I'm going to I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. So you don't have toilet paper. You're going to tell me in a, in a I mean, in a pinch, if there's nothing else in your house, you don't have paper towels, napkins, Kleenex, anything you can use if you can't process the notion of washing yourself. Yeah, it's we're so accustomed to a very specific way of doing things, but I think that that moment in life kind of shocks some people back. Oh yeah, to the sure. back to the basics, and I'm I'm actually kind of happy about that. Not that people went through stress or any of the negative things or the people we lost during COVID or any of that stuff, but the fact that it kind of reminded everybody that they can. We have the internet. There's very few things we can't learn how to do. Now my role is to support them. The ones who stayed there when the world took off again, uh-huh. the ones who stayed there are the ones that I need to support. The ones making jam, that's where I need to get my jam. Yes. The, the ones who are who are collecting honey and processing honey, that's where, that's where we need to get the honey from. And that's the commitment I'm making this year. The, the, those, cottage, those cottage kitchens that are cooking bread, that's where my bread needs to come from. Well, look at like your sweets, you know? I mean, look at how many local... Um... People around you are doing honey or doing maple syrup, simple things that like, it, okay, so I'm, yeah, and I'm going to use sugar as a great example. Like if you have someone local to you that has a bunch of maple trees and they're making maple syrup and sell it, buy it, only use that. Don't buy the store-bought stuff. The store-bought stuff may have a little bit of maple syrup, but it's mostly it's like corn syrup, isn't it? Just corn yeah, syrup corn, and additional it, sugars. Yeah. It's usually corn syrup and um, it, it'll have like a maple additive for flavoring or it'll be colored or dyed brown. And it it's just not good for you. And it's not, I don't know how else to say it. Like when you eat real maple syrup, you don't get sick of it. I'm not saying you have to eat it till you explode. But what I am saying is that like when you have pancakes or you have French toast and you're eating, you don't get that, ugh, like that, that thick residue in your mouth that makes you perpetually always thirsty. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just weird. But like if I eat, if I, if I have a big stack of pancakes and I've got Mrs. Butterworth or whatever store-bought brand, halfway through it, my I, my stomach my stomach's full, but I have like this dry, tacky taste in my mouth. It's mm-hmm. because corn syrup is is not it's not meant for your consumption. It shouldn't exist in the first place. And we put it in everything. We should take a note from the countries that have outlawed it. But we put that stuff in everything. So I would stay away from it. I would only get your honey and your maple syrup from like locally local sources and eat it fresh and natural the way it was intended. Yeah, that's this is the next reset that I have to do is start building the network and start getting on some kind of cadence of delivery. Yes. And it's easy. Mary has eggs. I All I have to do is I can literally send her a message on Facebook and say I need eggs and I'll have eggs within a day or two. Mm-hmm. It's easy to do. Then I can ask, it, being connected in town with everybody, I can just walk over to someone like Candace who knows everyone and say, I want bread. Who makes mm-hmm. the bread? And she'll give me the name, whoever it is, no matter what it is. I can ask who processes meat. I can ask any of these things. Who makes the jam? She'll, they'll, they'll know. And that's what I need to do next is start supporting the people who've homesteaded. I know we were going to build build this episode based on what is homesteading and all these things, but I don't think that's the episode. I think the episode these days is knowing those people, finding those people and supporting those people. I, I agree with that. Cause I think that in today's day and age, the best way to be 
successful is to have a sustainable community. And if you have go back to an older way of doing things where one person is a baker or one person does this, and what they're doing is they're supplying their own family, but they're selling the excess to the community, which it comes in handy for the rest of the people that don't have it. Maybe not everyone knows how to make bread. Maybe not everyone has maple trees. Maybe not everyone knows how to get honey. Like maybe, maybe if your community works together, they will see that they all do better in the long run. And most, I know a lot of homesteaders, they, some of them don't have a ton of resources. Uh This is that opportunity that you have an overabundance of random things, things they can't necessarily go buy, but you want eggs trade. Let's go back to some bartering, go back to some trading, get rid of the things you haven't touched in years Mm-hmm. For the things that you want now, helping them create more things you will want later. That's <laughs> all it is, is this nice uh, material circle of life type thing, this life cycle. And it it's sitting there waiting for us, or at least waiting for me. I'm sure some of you listening already do this. But understand that in the world of sustainability, there's ebbs and flows, and it's very dynamic. And even myself, who pays tries to pay close attention, gets smacked in the face with the obvious every once in a while. This is the obvious. Yes, all these people, All these people stepped aside from society and are doing sustainable things, and they are ready and prepared to help us become more sustainable, even though we didn't take that step. Part of a community, man. That's what, that's what communities do. Now, there's another side effect to this, by the way. First of all, that there'll be a whole new generation of kids who grow up farm-like. That's okay? good. No, no, there's a ton food. of value. ton of value there. Like when TSC started selling hobby chickens, mm-hmm. there was a time a few years back where eggs, commercial eggs, got to a quarter a dozen. Yep. Because at a certain time of the year, all these chickens started speeding up, laying their eggs. All these suburban families ended up with 14 dozen, and they're just giving them to neighbors, and everybody's getting free eggs from Bill over there. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they weren't buying them. And so how supply and demand works was they still had the supply, but there was no demand. And the prices continued to plummet until at one point they were four dozen for a dollar. Well, I remember buying right before COVID, I could buy, I want to say it was 15 dozen for $10. And so mm-hmm. that comes out to what, like 75 cents a dozen or something. And it, it was great. I mean, because eggs are in so many things you would cook that it, in terms of food cost, it was wonderful. Now they're ridiculous. Right. But you could, like, I don't, I'm not even sure how much they are a dozen right now, but you could go to someone locally and say, mm-hmm. here's the deal. I need this many eggs. You could probably set up a monthly payment to receive this many eggs every single month, and it would be greatly below the amount that you would spend at a at a at a store, and you'll get a far superior product. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so when I worked at there used to be a diner in Montrose called Roxy's, and a couple years back, actually probably six or seven years back, now that I think about how old I am, they had a local farmer that was selling them eggs and he kept raising the prices on feed because he he did he was buying expensive food producing you know a lot of eggs and stuff and we couldn't afford it but he he was he got to where he was um, more expensive than the distributors well there was enough local people in montrose that had chickens that they they and they had excess eggs they would come up and, and give us eggs in exchange for breakfast or in exchange for you know lunch the next day so someone would come up and get a burger and fries and they'd give us two dozen eggs mm-hmm. And 
it, it, it was, we had to clear it with the health department to make sure there was no problem with using these eggs and stuff, but it was, it was way more beneficial because people just had extra. A guy that I know, his name is Travis. Um, he lives in Flint. He has a, a big farm where, I mean, big by today's standards, not like huge, but he's got a couple hundred chickens and I don't know what else he has. He raises hogs, like beef and stuff, but he sells his, his eggs for like two seventy five a dozen and he sells them quick. Because yeah. most grocery stores, especially in the higher end neighborhoods, charge way more. Even here at Clio at VG's, you know, if you if you're not there on a sale, you're paying almost four dollars a dozen. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean. I mean, there used to be okay, eggs were a buck a dozen, and if you bought them from a farm, they were three dollars or two fifty. But that's not the reality anymore. The reality is is corporate gouging has put it well above. And I say corporate gouging because even though the egg industry has gone up, you know, 60, 70 percent, their their profits are up twice as much. Oh, for sure. So they can say, well, hey, supply and demand, this and that. There isn't a shortage. There's no longer a limit to buy, but yet the price hasn't come down and they're celebrating record profits. So how do you how do you not reward poor behavior? You get a more superior product from a neighbor and you quit buying theirs. Yep. So that that it just reminds me that I need to get a hold of Mary because we need some eggs. So and I'm gonna find out about bread and I'm gonna find out about jam and I'm gonna find out what else is out there and I'm gonna slowly start changing that habit again because it's a better food, it's a better product, it's a you're you're in a sense supporting the people that are that are functioning in a more sustainable method. You're helping them be able to do it by buying from them or trading from them. And it is kind of getting back to the roots and get and pulling some of that money out of the system, at least through us. So that's all I had for this week. I mean, I know that we talked, we were going to talk about homesteading, but I think this was a better story and I think it was a better message. I think that if we all took the time to look around us, to, to look for those craftsmen, look for those individuals who have these skills to be able to do the things that we want, we would, we would live a better life. We would have more unique items and we would be much healthier in how we do things. So thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. If you want to support realistic sustainability, there's always the five-star reviews, but we're getting ready very soon. We've got the cups rolled out for from some of our local friends. We've got t-shirts coming. Again, I know it seems very weird to have merch and sustainability in the same category, but again, this is primarily people we know, small businesses who are building merch for us to help promote realistic sustainability, and we're promoting them. So when you purchase something through there, a little bit goes to the show, but a lot of it goes to small business. So we want to tell you, first of all, anybody who decides to help out and pick up a few items, thank you very much. That'll be rolling out onto the site here in just uh, actually a couple of weeks, and it will be in correlation with our Patreon. So Nick and I are going to offer a few different experiences and opportunities uh, through the Patreon. So for all of you who, who take the time to listen and you enjoy the show and you share it with your friends, thank you so much. And again, we spend this time together just to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week.